Welcome to the Film Comment podcast. I'm Devika Girish, one of the editors at Film Comment. A couple weeks ago, I visited the Artist Space Gallery in downtown Manhattan to check out the ongoing exhibit by the New Red Order, a public secret society that creates exhibitions, videos, and performances that question and rechannel our relationships to indigeneity. As I walked into the gallery, the lobby welcomed me with an assortment of marketing paraphernalia. A poster advertised Savage Philosophy trademark, a red landline invited me to call a hotline, and a screen played a video of a white man exhorting me to never settle and to realize my fullest potential by joining his organization, the New Red Order. Was this the merchandise section of the gallery, a marketing or a recruitment video, or a parody? I couldn't quite tell at first. That slippage between satire and fact, which constantly reminds us of the all-too-real absurdity of the settler colonial project, is the modus operandi of New Red Order. As I walked further into the exhibit, one wall featured a sardonic timeline of the history of the Improved Order of Red Men, a whites-only political society that the New Red Order riffs on. One section of the room was modeled on a real estate office for giving back land. And the centerpiece featured a series of videos, including New Red Order's feature film slash recruitment video, Never Settle. To dig into the exhibit's provocative plays with time, futurity, guilt, ownership, and desire, I spoke to New Red Order's core conspirators, Jackson Paulus, Adam Khalil, and Zach Khalil. Today's podcast features a short excerpt of our conversation featuring Adam and Jackson, but look out for the full interview in the film comment letter on Thursday. I thought we'd start off by what I thought was a really fascinating way in which you present New Red Order, which is as a public secret society. Right off the bat, there's a kind of paradox that I think the exhibit really probes into deeper. Uh, but I thought maybe you could start us off by telling us what public secret really means to you, um, Adam. The big thing about our public secret society is anyone can join. So shameless plug, if you want to sign up, newredorder.org, or you can call our hotline at one eight 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 new red one But uh, public secret society, part of the idea is that New Red Order actually emerged from a real secret society which is the Improved Order of the Red Men and the Degree of Pocahontas. And the Improved Order of the Red Men goes back to the Boston Tea Party. That's how the group kind of formed. Um, and, you know, when the British colonists protested the tea tax at the Boston Tea Party, they all dressed up like Mohawk or Haudenosaunee Native people. And that kind of then spawned into this group, the Improved Order of the Red Men, which also, like, has connections to Tammany Hall, and the Sons of Liberty, and is kind of foundational to the start of the settler colonial project of America. Um, so the New Red Order is kind of in contradistinction from the Improved Order of the Red Men. And they're an actual secret society that included like Teddy Roosevelt, FDR, Nixon, and they would meet up in wigwams and dress up in native regalia, like leaders of business and politics, and they still exist. They're headquartered in Waco, Texas. So we're kind of an extension of that organization. And then part of the idea for the public secret 
goes back to Mick Tausig, who's an anthropologist up at Columbia and writer. And he writes a lot about these, the idea of public secrets, like things we all know to be true, but um, don't ever discuss. And one of the ultimate public secrets being the ongoing settler colonialism that's happening in Turtle Island in North America, where it's something that's ubiquitous and constant, but never really brought to the fore. So part of the hope is that uh, when people sign up to join our public secret society, we kind of reveal that secret and unpack it together. Yes, one of the facets or avenues of that public secret is settler colonialism, which includes uh, legacies and is in some way dependent on plain Indian or wanting to become Indian. Is one of the ways of being native or marking oneself as native or learning how to feel at home here. So that that is enacted through various forms, some of which may be seen as inappropriate desire toward indigeneity. So that's one of the um, kind of areas that New Red Order allows for an interrogation of that kind of activity and desire itself. I've been sort of reading up about New Red Order and the timeline of your works. And it seems like there's a deliberate like refusal of an origin story. You know, it's very hard to find the traditional uh, kind of history to New Red Order as you would to an artist collective or a party. From what I've read, you guys really resist the idea of a particular hierarchy or ownership of this organization or a particular moment when of its founding. Is that true? And if so, what sort of motivates this nebulous, ever mutating formation? I think part of that might be due to, yeah, I think there is a refusal of desires to encapsulate origin stories and mark points as definitive in terms of when things started. And I think part of that is a resistance to this idea of settler colonialism and nationhood, that the nation state was founded at a particular moment when we know it's been a process of reinstatement of what that idea is. And so I think that's kind of an undercurrent of this, what might be called refusal of an origin story. And also the concomitant um, desire to conflate natives with nature and to have pinpoint their own origin stories as arriving at a certain point prior to history, which can then never be marked, but is also negated because it's not seen as actual historical in terms of moment or even a, a time period. So I think we're, we're toying and playing with these kind of layers of conflation that result in primitivism that continues through today. So I think that is part of what might be called refusal. Just to riff on that too, and like uh, in line what Zach was talking about, about how it could be a political party or a religious group or a cult or a think tank. Just also this idea that like defining our purpose also can limit our potential. And that by like revealing the origin story could kind of like pigeonhole what and where this is all coming from. The improved order of the Red Men, you said, was whites only. And the way that you've sort of depicted NRO in the videos playing in the show and in your videos is very cleverly, I think, parodying that idea because uh, all the people in the video, as far as I could tell, are non-native. And the spokesperson is this white actor named Jim Fletcher, right? And I'm just curious about your choice to have these people, you know, you call them accomplices or informants, but have them sort of be the faces of New Red Order in these videos. Well, yeah, I think that's a juicy point and something we're pretty invested in is also just like this strange outcome of like identity-based art, which we're also deeply invested in, but how 
indigenous artists have to perform their indigeneity every time they exhibit something. And that's like a really clear desire from like institutions and art going publics to see that performance. So I think we're like really conscious of that and trying to undermine that and refuse that. So yes, like in Never Settle the Longer film, there isn't a single indigenous person in it, but it's all about indigeneity. And I think part of that is also just like number wise, like native people are less than 1% of the US population. So it's like to affect any actual kind of change, we would need to develop coalition building that would exist outside of just self-organizing. Um, and I think that's really, there's like a lot of tension around that coalition building, like especially like if you think about something like Standing Rock and the message was water is life, but the real message was respect indigenous sovereignty, but that's like too complicated and unsettling of a notion to make into a slogan. So it kind of had to get like kind of dumbed down into this sort of neo-hippie slogan that then other people could get behind and wanting to not have to hide behind that, but really just like engage directly in this coalition building. And I think the other thing too, is we're trying to move away from centering whiteness and equating that with settler colonialism, but then also trying to figure out avenues and conversations uh, and ways of coalition building that don't, that acknowledge like all of our complicated backgrounds. Uh, and even like myself is like part white and like part Egyptian and like not trying to deny those things or find a scapegoat, but really uh, engage in that mess and try to make some sense of it. I think part of thinking about recognizing our own complicity as informants is asking others to recognize their own complicity as well, their own complicity and kind of their own systems of highlighting privileges that they have and that the way that that can often occlude centering Indigenous people as well, but that acknowledging our, our, our co-complicity in some ways as informants, historical and current, that can act for building a system of reciprocity that is actual but very sticky and difficult, but kind of evades the subsumption of that being an empty reproduction of an indigenous epistemology, where we're trying to say that we center reciprocity, but really it's only that desire for the idea or epistemology that's being consumed or captured and reproduced and not actual dialogue with indigenous people. So this is kind of a way of provoking that conversation and allowing for a space for that conversation in this kind of public secret way. What's also interesting is that because this is in the form of, you know, what you would call art, uh, exhibit a video, these forms always raise the question of representation. And I feel like what you're maybe articulating is also this disconnect between re representation and labor that is often overseen, you know, whose labor is being centered or who is being compensated for their labor versus who is being represented in ways that often end up being extractive. So I thought that was an interesting tension also you captured, especially in, in Never Settle. As you said, you are sort of re, you are decentering whiteness, I guess, from the conversation around settler colonialism. But at the same time, you are asking that the labor, the uncompensated labor of, of thinking through these ideas come from, come from the settlers, which I thought was really interesting. Was also like we've been playing around with this idea of proxy, and Jim Fletcher has kind of been the proxy or host for New Red Order. Like he's, and in that sense, also kind of playing Indian with approval. Like our running joke is we're reverse to... Brando. That yeah, was yeah. very, very funny. <laughs> 
Yeah, but also just thinking that like having us talk about indigenous futures might fall on deaf ears, but having like a middle-aged white guy who's an amazing actor, people can perk up or like be like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> like it could be consumed or digested in a different way or have a different resonance than if it's, yeah, us performing representation in that way that you were talking about. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. Another interesting theme that came through in that video was, you know, that of guilt and shame, right? So much of this conversation around decolonization ends up focusing on the guilt of the settler. And I think there was something in the video where, you know, you're kind of maybe making fun of that fixation on guilt. And I was really struck by some of the people, the informants saying things like, I've learned how to help without getting in the way. And there's a moment where uh, Fletcher says, you know, do you feel bad? I feel bad. And it's making fun of that idea, but it's also, I don't know, it gets at how inescapable those emotions are. I mean, you know, how do you think through this stuff collectively without some element of guilt and shame? And there was also a video uh, focused on apologies that I found very fascinating where you have this almost like a supercut of state apologies to indigenous people and you really when you see them all together they there's you know you see all these apologies and then you have Trudeau saying I apologize for not apologizing sooner you know it it's like a skit uh but how do you I guess yeah what is your approach to guilt and shame in your work because it does feel like this intractable thing that gets you know, that how do you, yeah, how do you work through that? Even in the form of proxy, we're starting to talk about the ways in which by using proxy and centering different aspects of whiteness, but also not focusing on whiteness by focusing on indigeneity through looking at an other's lens, not the classically, typically other, but you know, (laughs) another other. Um, Reverse other. (laughs) Reverse other. (laughs) Um, there's the tension between doing that and then occluding or uh, minimizing bandwidth of actual indigenous voices. But as we mentioned earlier, um, we're trying to get away from the dynamic of people having to put in the labor of reproducing or highlighting their own indigeneity and performing that. So that we recognize that this can get ridiculous in terms of like trying to uh, avoid all the red flags that we start finding ourselves Mm -hmm. encountering but perhaps one of the ways of moving through that guilt and shame is part of acknowledging the difficulty of that and the ludicrous um, contortions that can result when one tries to apologize and acknowledge um, in addition to the plain Indian aspects of that. Yeah and I think there's also a tension that we're trying to walk where it's like we're trying to scaffold ways of being that could get past guilt and shame but without offering an out from it you know what i mean but yeah it feels like a dead end sometimes or like uh just the loop and just trying to acknowledge that that's a loop that we're all dealing with in different ways with different backgrounds 
I think the thing that I was kind of butting up against is that victimhood is often the way in which a lot of communities can get political agency. It's always this, you know, it is a double-edged sword, but it's the way that some kind of political agency can be articulated uh, in, you know, the current, I would say, landscape and felt like you were really playing with that and you were pushing against that in a way that I couldn't, yeah, put my, my finger on so that I think that loop that you're talking about is because in order to get a voice, communities have to define themselves by their victimhood. But trying to come out of that presents these the risk of just getting not heard. I think maybe we glossed over this, but I also think the performance of indigeneity is performed by indigenous people as well. You know what I mean? Like we're also on the hook for it and with it. And maybe that also kind of dovetails on what you're talking about. Victimization as like a foundation for an identity. Uh, yeah, and trying to figure out ways to like short circuit that or to like glitch that out so that way it's not just the same loop over and over again. But again, it's also like slippery. I mean, like there's this stuff that just happened with the, at the residential school in Canada with all the mass graves. And it's like the guilt and shame that that nation and people from that nation are feeling in regards to that history is super real and profound and deserved. You know what I mean? It's like we're not trying to create out where like, that stuff gets forgotten. I guess one of the things we're constantly playing with is like Eve Tuck and Kei-Wei and Yang's decolonization on a metaphor, but then also this idea of savage philosophy from Christopher Bracken. And like they're kind of like uh, ideologically on two separate poles. Like one is calling for like material political change and the other one is saying metaphor and symbols and like conjuring of ideas can have material changes as well and conflating those two opposing ideas is really like how we're trying to navigate between the sticky terrain and that's also the reason why like part of the emphasis on like you know the new red order is not us we're just some of the core contributors but it's like a revolving door of people who come in and out and participate in different ways uh and part of that is also so we can kind of keep in check in terms of like if we're going too far one way or the other or getting like too metaphorical and not concrete enough or vice versa. A lot of what you're saying about, you know, both the power of symbols and metaphors and the ways in which they are inadequate. I think that that seems to come through in the work in the show that has to do with monuments. You know, there's an installation section of the show in which there's, I don't know how to describe them, but these, um, statues kind of deconstructed, I guess, in the process of editing and and sort of uh, blown apart and reconstructed. And there was a really striking quote that talked about how statues are sort of a revenge on reality and that they will take their due from reality. And I was curious about that emphasis on monuments, because that's also one of the ways in which uh, questions about indigenous, you know, repatriation and settler guilt comes into the, you know, very mainstream public discourse, statues of Christopher Columbus, the Indigenous Peoples Day, those sorts of things. Uh, so could you talk a little bit about that, that part of the work? One of the things we're trying to do is get away from like D and re language uh, and start formulating kind of new approaches that don't, that aren't centered on undermining something that existed before. Part of that two channel piece, uh, culture capture crimes against reality that's huge in the basement uh there was like a new york city government run committee about what to do with problematic monuments and statues like i don't know 2017 or 2018 one of them being the teddy roosevelt monument that's in front of the american museum of natural history and their conclusion after a lot of eating and hawing was 
that an additive approach needed to be pursued. And in this context, that meant adding a plaque to give kind of context as to why it was problematic. But then we thought this idea of an additive approach was really actually interesting and beneficial and had to do with uh, making something new as opposed to tearing something down or like erasing history. And also there's like this double-edged sword with indigeneity and erasure. So it's like, uh, you know, representation of Indian peoples is ubiquitous, but it's also like going away. Like the Land of Lakes Butter, it was like the Indian woman on her knees in front of the lakes and then it got rid of her now. And now it's just the lakes. And it's like, wait a second. <laughs> like, it just starts to have these weird parallels of like, wait, what, what is actually happening here? Uh, so yeah, that was using this like photogrammetric technique and 3D animation to take additive, additive approaches to these kind of complicated monuments. So it's not tearing them down, it's not removing them, it's adding to it. And this kind of like accumulative gesture, which could lead to maybe like more interesting features than erasing and hiding. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, arthouse, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.